Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So we've got 10.30, and that is when we start, right? All right. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day, for this place, for these people. We ask that you be with us as we consider once again what discipleship is for us in our lives and how we might grow more fully into the disciples that you wish us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. How are you this morning? Good. Good. So, um, because this is our first time together in the forum, and for some of you, the very first time we've been together, um, I thought that um, my talk about discipleship might um, tell you a little bit more about me and what my journey has been like and how I've come here. Feel free to stop me and ask questions if you want, or after the fact, although I know I'll be running off for the 11:15 service. Uh, my name is Marisa Sapatis, and um, I am always, always striving to be a more faithful uh, servant of Jesus Christ, as we all are, right? Um, I um, have been a priest for almost two years now, so I'm still pretty new, right? Thank you for that. It is it is a great joy, um, but I'm also no spring chicken. So, um, I uh, after college I went off to law school and um, I served as a lawyer for I worked as a lawyer for 20 years. Um, and in that time, I got married and had a family. I have two wonderful boys, Cole and Max. Um, Cole, if you read my letter to the church, you know some of these things already. Uh, Cole is a senior at Amherst College um, up in Massachusetts, and he is studying English and Asian civilizations and cultures, um, which is shorthand for he grew up learning Chinese, although he's started with Japanese in the last couple of years, because, you know, why not more language? <laughs> um, and uh, Max is a sophomore at Tufts in Boston, so they're both in Massachusetts, which is one of the reasons I love being in New York. I've got one coming home next weekend, which never would have happened if I was still in Virginia. Um, and he is studying to be an astrophysicist. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but I'm thrilled by it. It's just he makes my head hurt when he talks. Um, but it's wonderful, wonderful. So um, I uh, practiced law for 20 years, um, and um, around the end of my time as a lawyer, um, we actually we moved to Charlotte, uh, my family and I, um, so I could work at a company there. I did energy law. Um, and uh, most recently, it worked for a nonprofit that helped to manage the reliability of the electric grid in the Southeast United States. So, we helped make sure the lights stayed on. Um, and, um, but we moved to Charlotte, and um, about in 2009, um, and about six months into um, our time in Charlotte, my husband got sick. He turned yellow. Um, we found out about six months later that um, he had pancreatic cancer. Um, and pancreatic cancer, it's, you know, when you go, oh, because you know, it's pancreatic cancer. Um, and 40-year-olds aren't supposed to get pancreatic cancer, but he did. And um, so um, 
everything in our lives shifted. At the time of this diagnosis, our kids were in kindergarten and third grade. We had just started school in Charlotte, didn't know a soul. Um, thankfully, you know, it's funny how blessings work in your lives and how discipleship works when you are try to be obedient to the call of the Spirit. Um, in Richmond, which is where we had been living for the seven years before that, um, we were living on a farm. We had goats and chickens and ponies and a garden and a nursery. I raised plants and milked the goats every morning before I went to work. It was a wonderful life. And as we got ready to move to Charlotte, my husband was said, um, Scott said, you know what? I kind of want to leave the farm chores behind and live in the city. And I was like, no, no, but the goats. <laughs> and we looked around at all these different places and we ended up in the city. And it was a blessing for many reasons. Um, we had wonderful neighbors right around us as opposed to being in the middle of nowhere in, in Richmond. Um, and, um, and we didn't have the same level of busyness that we did in Virginia. So when we were uh, about a mile from the hospital, which turned out to be a very good thing, as you know. So um, it, it, the cancer took two years, um, just under two years from his diagnosis um, before he passed away. And all of a sudden I was living a different life. Um, here I was, um, single mom, um, with you know two grieving boys who was grieving herself and trying to figure out what um, this different life looked like for us. Um, and um, after, during that time, shortly after, our bishop came to visit the congregation, um, St. Martin's in Charlotte, which I've been attending. And the bishop had this talk about uh, deacons in the church. And, um, you know, deacons, we don't have one here, although we actually also have three here because every priest is a deacon also. And the role of the deacon is to bring the church to the world and the world to the church. How wonderful is that, right? What more fulsome way can one live into the gospel than bringing the church to the world and the world to the church, always reminding us what the gospel message is? And she talked about the need for deacons in the church and the fact that in the Diocese of North Carolina at that time, the average age of deacons was about 61. Um, and so um, I felt this call and also my life was not at a spot where I could consider that at all. Fast forward a couple years, not too many years at this point, actually, and I was asked to serve on somebody's parish discernment committee. Now, show of hands, have any of you been asked to serve on a discernment committee before? I see a couple here and there. So a discernment committee is when you've got someone who's discerning a call to ordained ministry, whatever that may be, whatever that might look like. And the parish forms a committee to come around that person, to pray with them, to pray themselves, and figure out where is the spirit in all of this. It's a super, super important role. Um, and, um, and can you tell me a little bit about your experience? Um, I did too. Um, and they were two very different experiences, but I guess the most important, I mean, I shared them, but I had never been on one before. Um, <laughs> what's very important, I think, is the collective uh, 
impression that forms mm -hmm. um, within the group of committee members. And um, I mean, it's it's critical. And then also a lot of guidance from Brenda was helpful. Yeah. And she one of the things she said is, you know, bottom line, you have to ask yourself, how would you feel about having this person be your priest? That's fundamental. Yeah, absolutely. Or your deacon, if that's what um, you were discerning. And for me, I um, went forward, um, well, so for this person, it was a priest. And one of the neat things about parish discernment committees is that um, the whole committee ends up discerning during this process. It's not just a, you're looking at the person who's in process. So I came out of that time on a parish discernment committee saying, gosh, you know what? I think it's kind of time for me to discern whether I'm called to the diaconate or not. Now, one of the things about most deacons is that um, it's largely, and I'm simplifying here, so forgive me, um, but it's a Sunday job, right? You serve at a parish on Sunday. That doesn't mean you don't have other roles also, but you serve at the pleasure of the bishop. And so you care for the congregation or whatever congregation the bishop puts you at. Um, and so for me, um, I like the, the conversation with the bishop came back up again, and I was like, I have to figure out what's going on here. So I started talking to my priest, and we got to the point um, down the way where it was time to form my own parish discernment committee to see if I was called to the diaconate in community. And I got there to the first meeting, and this was in 2016, so you know some time has passed. <laughs> and um, the very first meeting, a person I sit down, and the person next to me turns and says, you know what, Marisa? I don't see you as a deacon. I see you as a priest. <laughs> and somebody else across the room who hadn't heard what the first person said, said that too. So that's how my parish discernment wow. committee started. And we had to call a timeout because they're two different processes. And so for me in that moment, discipleship looked like stepping back and realizing that instead of the door that I saw in front of me, there was a door and a window and another door. And, you know, maybe, you know, some louvered something over here. <laughs> but there were an array of choices, not all of which I saw for myself. And so I had to say, okay, great. Spirit, where are you actually calling me? I'm willing to be obedient and figure out that I don't have all the answers and just give it up to God. And for me, that was a very important step because if I hadn't taken that step, if I hadn't, if I had said, oh, you know, that's great. I'm glad you think that, but this is really what I want for me. God doesn't always work like that in our lives, does God? Yeah. So I said, after prayer and I mean literally we took a time out went down to the rector's office and and we had to go home and pray about it and then when we reconvened and I said okay I'm willing to see what this walk looks like I'm willing to see where this road takes me and that's how my discernment into ordained ministry that's when the path diverged from what I saw versus what um, the Spirit had in store for me. 
So, um, <laughs> along that, uh, at that same time, uh, one of the interesting things that uh, was happening um, was that um, the job that I was working, uh, keeping the lights on, um, when you were there for seven years, um, you got a one month sabbatical. And I was like, ooh, one month sabbatical, this would be fantastic. Um, and, but then I wondered what that might look like if we could do it for longer and what that might mean for our lives. At the time, Cole was off in um, high school, in boarding school, his choice, um, up in Massachusetts. There's a theme there, I guess. Um, and Max had just started middle school and Max was in sixth grade. And middle school, like anywhere, is middle school. <laughs> and, um, and so I had a choice because after Scott passed away, um, I kept on moving and kept on working. I was the sole support for our family and um, trying to keep things the way that they were because that's, you know, this is how life is supposed to be and this is, you know, how things are supposed to happen. But along that same step, uh, that same thought of stepping back and really letting discernment happen and listening to the call of the spirit in our lives. Um, Max and I started talking about, you know, we started watching all these tiny house shows when Cole left <laughs> the school. Um, and we wondered like, you know, we're living, um, you know, in this, you know, four bedroom house in the suburbs of Charlotte, um, right near the boys' school, which was great because Max could walk back and forth. Um, but, but is that really how we were called to live? Is that really what we needed to be doing in this season? And so discernment led us to, um, as my parish discernment committee was happening, decide that we were going to take that one month sabbatical and instead turn it into an indefinite pause. And so um, I left my job and um, we sold our house and we got rid of 90% of our stuff. And we bought an RV and we hit the road. Um, <laughs> Wow. And it was important because in that season, what Max needed was a deliberate parent. He needed me to be present in his life and not he gets home and um, I text him and I'm still in a meeting for another three hours and things like that. And so in that season, discernment also looked like a deliberate reordering of how we lived our lives. So we set off in July of 2016. Our first destination was Wild Goose in the mountains of North Carolina. Um, it's a big uh, festival, um, and um, we drove the RV there over the mountains. We actually threw the rest of the stuff in the house in the RV and then drove the RV over the mountains. We got to uh, Hot Springs where it was that year um, at about one in the morning. And now mind you, I'm, I did not grow up camping. Yes, we did have a farm along the way, but uh, outdoors, like, you know, I don't like ticks and <laughs> things like that. Not really a fan. So, and, and def definitely not like how to run a camper, especially one that's like 38 feet long because it's your only house in the world at this point. Um, but we learned along the way. That first summer, our first destination was South Dakota. Uh, that fall, we went um, up to the Maritimes, to New Brunswick, and Prince Edward Island, and Nova Scotia. 
Um, I was, in fact, I was looking at the pictures this morning. We were driving the Cabot Trail um, this uh, today, seven years ago. Um, and really listening to how the spirit moved in our lives in that time. It was a break I found I needed because I had, after the death of Scott, just kind of kept going and going because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. There's a chance for me to be very, very present in Max's life. And let me tell you, he's a wonderful roommate. He truly is. <laughs> I miss him not being there now that he's in school. Um, and it was just a time to discover and discern and see. One of the things that we did was we traveled to different Episcopal and Anglican women churches. Um, when I say we, I really mean me for this because the boys did not get up early to do this. Um, different churches across the country um, and across Canada. Um, and, um, and so it was a different type of discernment in that way, a different way of learning discipleship, of seeing how different people practice this Episcopal faith. I mean, one of the neat things is you can go anywhere, as you know, and there's that same red prayer book and that same blue hymnal, although sometimes they're different colors. And you pick it up and you know exactly where you are. The rhythms of faith here at St. James are duplicated not only down the street and up the street, but across the country and really across the world. So um, that also was a gift of this time on the road. Um, Cole was with us during holidays and on breaks and things, and we'd um, meet him and he'd fly to uh, Austin, Texas for, uh, for winter break. And then we'd shuffle off and drive really quickly to um, Sacramento so he could fly back for spring break. Um, we did really neat things. We spent a summer driving to and around Alaska um, and then across Canada on the way back. Um, and it was a wonderful, irreplaceable time of discernment um, and learning and being in community with um, all kinds of different people. Now, I did say it was 2016. There was also something else happening in 2016. We were in the midst of a pretty fractious election season. And so that was one of the things that was important to me too because most RVers, the vast majority, do not look like me. And so being in community with people who are very different, um, have had different life experiences, carry a lot of assumptions about who people are. Um, I've preached about this before, and I may again, so you may hear it. Um, so our summer in South Dakota, that very first summer, um, the time that we were getting to South Dakota was the time of Sturgis, biggest motorcycle rally in the world. And like literally the entire uh, western half of South Dakota is kind of shut down by motorcycles. And so I had dutifully sent off a check because that's literally the only way they made reservations in this campground um, in Custer, South Dakota. I sent them a check to get a week reservation because there was nothing else available in the, within hundreds of miles. We pull up in the campground and I get out um, to go to the office and look up and there's a noose hanging from the rafters of the lodge. So all these times, there are so many experiences that we have where we are, where I was in community with people who were different than me, um, people who 
Um, you know, and then there were times when, um, you know, I had to make calls about whether we stayed someplace or not, or, um, you know, um, and there's split second decisions and listening, listening to what was going on inside um, and how the spirit was moving in our lives at that time. Um, so in 2018, um, I, we drove the RV to Atlanta and I started seminary at Candler School of Theology at Emory University. And um, thus began the next stage of our life, going back into a home. Um, and um, Cole wasn't there the first year, but then COVID brought him home for the next two. Um, and um, yeah, uh, that is where we are. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so um, in 2021, um, I finished and uh, was called to work at St. John's Episcopal Church in Roanoke, Virginia, um, ordained to the diaconate and then to the priesthood. And then, as you know, I've now been called here to St. James. And having the Spirit move through this process, seeing how the Spirit moves in this place through calling Zach as rector, for example, um, and seeing the ways that discipleship works in all of our lives. Um, I'm amazed at the different lay leadership, uh, the diversity and the strength of the leadership here at St. James. It's one of the things that makes me very, very excited to be here with you. Um, and I'm glad we're discovering discipleship um, this fall together. It's a great anchor for us in our lives of faith. I've spoken a whole bunch. <laughs> That's me. Questions. And then I'll give you guys some questions to talk about. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Well, you are one gutsy woman. That's all I <laughs> I am entranced by your story. I'm just coming back from the summer, so this is my first Sunday here. It's good to be back. I'd love to know what experiences in this journey, as our English professor said, if you write journey in your essay, I'll give you a D. <laughs> but journey is a good word for this. And what experiences did you encounter that deepened your faith mm. and your, your longing to go into the priesthood? Yeah, what a good question. So in that very same time in Custer, South Dakota, yes, I decided to stay. I decided to that our ministry in that place or my ministry would be one of presence. I decided that we weren't unsafe, just unwelcome in that moment. And I walked into the lodge and the woman who was running it, um, her husband had just died a couple months ago, so she was a widow too. Um, and so after I made that connection, I, I decided. One of the things that happened when we were in Custer, South Dakota, we were driving down Needles Highway, which is this super twisty road that goes kind of between Mount Rushmore and through uh, Custer State Park a little bit. And um, as I'm driving, I see just kind of off the flash, you know, one of those the Episcopal Church welcomes you signs. And we are in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> nowhere. And so I actually stopped the car, backed up, and I looked and like, yeah, down this like, I mean, it, you can't even, it was like a dirt path. It wasn't a road, it wasn't, there was no paving on it. Um, there's the sign, so I go back 
and it's Saturday, so I'm typing, trying to figure out what this church is that's there. I can't figure it out at all. Um, but I get up and I go and I'm like, well, you know, 10 o'clock is a normal service time. I'll just go and see what happens. So I go back and um, I start driving down this road and then it turns into like a logging trail and then kind of a meandering path. I mean, there's no road there. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't, you know, I'm driving the tow car, which is a little mini Cooper, which isn't, you know, the best on these bumpy roads anyways. And eventually it opens up and there's this clearing, these um, log cabins around. And um, I get out of the car and I change into my hiking boots and this woman is standing, there's a little rough-hewn chapel, and this woman is standing, and so when I go up, she said, welcome, I've been waiting for you. And it was just the two of us, and we did morning prayer um, at Camp Remington, which is the kind of the summer camp for the Episcopal clergy out there. It was only the two of us. And this church um, had been made by hand from logs that were from that area, um, there, the altar was a framed window, no glass, looking out into a sea of uh, wildflowers. Um, and it was just amazing. It was one of the places that I felt God. Um, and being right there in that moment with her, um, yeah, just having that absolute feeling of rightness. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. I'll just be brief, sorry. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, briefly, um, when the announcement was made that you would join us, I found a YouTube video of you overseeing an evening where you where you discussed end-of-life doula. Oh! Right? Am I right? Is, what, were you actually an end-of-life doula? Um, and if so, what was that experience like? Yeah, yeah. So I am an end-of-life doula. That is one of the uh, things, one of the ways that I helped process my grief was to go through the training as an end-of-life doula. Um, and so I'm happy to walk with anyone that you may know that is going through end-of-life, through families. It is something that's so important. We talk a lot about beginning of life and we celebrate it, knowing that the, the end-of-life is coming for all of us. But we've denormalized that piece in our, in our society. And so um, working at that seam of end of life is very important, um, I think. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trained as an end of life doula. I'm not currently certified, but because I do this instead. But <laughs> yeah. I take that, all of that training into um, pastoral situations at end of life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. My comment was much simpler than that. I guess it sounds like that road in South Dakota was a bit of a metaphor. Mm. All of its different shapes and sizes and, and difficulty. Yeah. And then. Yeah. I, I was experiencing that metaphor as you were talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. Voila. Yeah. And I would love to know more. I don't know what a doula is, so I'd love to learn more about sure. that. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, did you name the RV? Mm, the RV did not. I'm not a name of a vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had a relationship. I wasn't in it. But didn't have a name. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Other questions
are the boys happy that you're in New York? They are thrilled. They are thrilled. I'm at Max, it was important for uh, the younger one. He wanted to get up here and get his room settled um, before he left for school. He's my kid who just kind of wants to know. Um, and so um, he was able to do that. Cole uh, was working um, up at school this summer, and so he hasn't even been to New York yet. He's supposed to be coming home next weekend, so I'm looking forward to seeing him and to getting some of the boxes in his room unpacked. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um, so, but um, yeah, he's, they're both thrilled. Um, you know, Roanoke was wonderful for a season. It was wonderful to learn. Um, it is not the most happening place in the world. We are travelers and going anywhere from Roanoke tends to be a little bit of a challenge. So, and that is completely different in New York City. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, um, they're both thrilled. Yeah, thanks. I was just curious what you are looking forward to doing in the city if you if you ever get a moment. Uh, do you like theater? Do you like music? Do you like walking or yes? What do you do when you're not? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yes. Um, uh, Max has said that I can't go see anything without him. I told him that was not a promise that I could keep. Um, so I'm, yes, I, I've been looking at the shows and trying to figure out when I can actually get to them. Um, I've been enjoying the walking a lot. Um, yeah. Um, what I've, I've said this before, I will say it to you. Uh, I found that New York is a lot less overwhelming than one would think it is because it's so very local. Because you walk everywhere or hop on the bus, right? There, there are little bits. You have a neighborhood and you have the things that you do. So that has been helpful for me to not feel like, oh, I'm in New York. So, um, but um, also, Oh, there's one other thing I was going to tell you there. Oh, we're gluten-free. Max and I are both gluten-free, have been since Max was an infant. Um, and so this is part of how I'm discovering New York is by um, going to different uh, bakeries and restaurants. And so, you know, that is not good in some uh, ways, but it's also a, a wonderful journey because New York has so many more options than just about anywhere else. So if you hear of a good gluten-free restaurant, let me know. Um, and um, and so we can try it out. Yes, Joe. You must have already found Nobu, right? Oh yeah, that's right down the street. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And the ice cream shop that's attached to it now. Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, it's like a twenty dollar croissant. They have a fabulous Nutella Sunday. It is eleven. So let me take one more, and then I've got to go get ready for church. Um, if you want to stay and chat for a little bit, my question to you is where have you heard the call of the Spirit in your own lives? So let me um, take this last uh, question comment and um, then I will leave you to it. You just sound so courageous. You give so much hope. So thank really. you for that. Thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to know where you get that inspiration. Mm. Uh, always knowing that, 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 I mean, we talk about being covered, right? But there were times on our trip in the RV that I felt that we were cared for, that I knew that we were part of this larger universe of, of God's children. I, I, gosh, I mean, I could name a handful of times right now where I knew that the Spirit was looking out for me. And, and that 
sense is a sense that I have tried to carry that even though there have been hard things in our lives and there are hard things in everyone's life that that there is a source of strength um, and goodness and love um, that holds us yeah yeah thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.